We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's good, everybody? Before we get into today's show, big ups to the members of the Patreon. We got Nick Chavez, Christopher Velasquez, Daniel Gibson, Derek Platees, Devin Rendon, Jake Powers, Corey Johnson Hoops, Ryan Pisner, Mike Wozniak. Nailed that on the first try. Patreon.com slash Veterans Minimum. For as little as a dollar a month, you can support the show. To as much as $20 a month, you get a lot of perks. Discord, shoutouts. What else do you get? You get merch. I got stumped there for a second because I just got an important email. Hashtag how important. So, housekeeping notes. I was supposed to have a guest to talk about the NBA playoffs but they bailed on me last minute. I shouldn't say bailed. We rescheduled because something came up. Emergency. I get it. So this is an interview with my guy, Jari Bolander. Jari is, I would say, a mentor, a friend, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu homie, even though we've never rolled together. But Jari is the man behind me getting Duntari Poe. And Dion Jones, he is the publicist for those athletes and a lot of other athletes. And I was on his podcast a couple of months ago, and I had a great, great, great time with Jari. Uh, anytime I reach out to him, he just shows love, and he's there for me, and I appreciate him. And I had such a great conversation with Jari. I'm going to link the pod that I did with him in this episode as well, the Entrepreneur Ethos. And when we finished recording, we didn't even get to jujitsu. He's a blue belt in jujitsu. And I was like, dude, I really, really enjoyed this conversation, man. Uh, let's have a part two on my show. This is the part two podcast and show with Jari Bolander. Uh, if you are into entrepreneurship, if you are into battling adversity, sky's the truth. I appreciate him so much. Blue Wire connection, Blue Wire family. 
Show some love to Jari. Hope you enjoy this one. I got two pods coming out later this week. A lot of NBA, a lot of soccer. Shout out Christian Pulisic, the great American hope, winning the Champions League. Well done, lads. Well done, Chelsea. Even though I'm an Arsenal fan, we got to show love to that. And yeah, hope you guys enjoy this one. Head on over to Patreon. Big announcement on Patreon. I put out a video. I put out a podcast on there too, Patreon exclusive. Just give you guys some news on what's been going down with me over the last couple of months. Some fun stuff. A lot of goals and dreams being recognized over the last couple of weeks. Thank you for your support. And my best Conor McGregor impression. Uh, I appreciate everyone. Always showing love. Yo soy fiesta. Thank you. I love you all. Enjoy this conversation with Jari, and I'll catch you guys later with some hoops. Go Knicks tomorrow, please, for our sanity and our mental health. Game five in the garden. My guy Jari. Much love. Thank you, everybody. Jari's the the middleman between me getting Duntari Poe on the show and Dion Jones as well. And you were just like super low key. You were like, yo, you know, I need you to plug this, this, and that. And I was like, Jari, I'm a professional. You should fucking know this. Uh, <laughs> I always got to like remind people, not because I don't think you're a professional, because as a publicist for professional athletes, among other things, it's my job to make sure that happens so no no offense no offense <laughs> not none take it i i get it, i get it and that's why you are a publicist for them because you are doing your job but you would just come in and then the conversation would start and then you kind of just like fizzle out and just start doing your own thing but you started dabbling into podcasts and i was on your podcast recently the entrepreneur ethos podcast and i gotta say man i i don't listen to many new podcasts and what i mean by that is I kind of have my four or five podcast rotation throughout the week. And very hard for me to get into a new one. I've gotten into yours. Cool. Well, thank you, man. That's that's a huge compliment. That's uh, I appreciate that, especially because it's about entrepreneurship and, you know, not sports like most of the podcasts here on the Blue Wire Network. So it's uh, kind of cool, though, to kind of branch out. And I think, you know, as with sports and entrepreneurship, it's you know, it's a game of showing up and doing your best. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. So there's always the great, you know, kind of sports analogies that, that we always like to use, but, uh, but yeah, appreciate that. And uh, it's just kind of crazy how it's all kind of came together. And even me doing a podcast on, you know, blue wire, right? Like we talked about it a little bit before. It's like, I'm not a sports podcast, but I'm on a sports podcast network or actually are we calling it a sports podcast network anymore or is it just like we're going to rule the world or something yeah it seems like there's a takeover happening and i'm very excited for it but i uh i want to start a little bit at the top and you know i like to say that my show is controlled chaos i keep everything under wraps and everything makes sense but we are going to be jumping around on many places so 
Entrepreneur Ethos. It was your podcast. I was on it. I'm going to link the episode again in case people didn't hear it. Genuinely love that conversation. And that inspired me in getting you on the show. What went into you starting your own podcast? Well, I wrote the book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, uh, published it in 2017. And uh, the book was inspired by my late wife, Jane, who uh, died of leukemia four years now. It's been four years. And um, she was a female minority entrepreneur in the sports publicity space. If you have been paying attention, you probably understand. Maybe that's the reason why I know so many athletes. <laughs> it's because of Jake, right? Um, and she had actually told me, well, when we first got together, she's an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, in Silicon Valley, where I'm from, San Francisco to be exact, there's a lot of entrepreneurs. Most of them look like me, tall, white guy with a beard and usually wearing a hoodie. <laughs> and tell, you can tell the difference between an entrepreneur and a venture capitalist or an investor. Entrepreneurs wear hoodies. Investors wear vests. Fun fact. So when you walk around San Francisco and you see someone in a vest, they're an investor. You see someone in a hoodie, they're an entrepreneur. <laughs> the only vest that I wear, Jari, is my Stone Cold vest. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, these are like Patagonia vests, so they're a little puffy. I don't know why venture capitalists wear vests. I have no idea. There's a great Instagram account called like Terminal Vest or something where they just take pictures of people in vests in San Francisco. I mean, it's kind of funny, but um, she, you know, Jane being a female minority entrepreneur um, would get kind of frustrated that there wasn't a lot of minority, especially minority women in entrepreneurship. Um, and when I was looking to write another book, I've written six so far. And that was my, I think that's the sixth book I forget. Um, she's like, you need to write a book about how to build a more ethical, inclusive and resilient entrepreneur community. And you need to teach minorities, women, anyone that'll listen how to do this job because there is not a job on the planet or a vocation on the planet like entrepreneurship that anyone can do anywhere in the world. And so she's like, suck it up buttercup and make it happen. <laughs> and so I started to do research. In fact, my very first interview was her dad, who's an entrepreneur. I interviewed him on Christmas of 2015, 25th, 2015. And the next day, the 26th of December of 2015 is when we found out that Jane had leukemia. So I sort of started this project, the Entrepreneur Ethos book and the genesis for the podcast actually through her time when she was also um, getting treated for leukemia. And what's interesting is that it kind of put the world in perspective as, you know, an entrepreneur, we're all about everything sunny in startup land and we're all crushing it. And, you know, like all the buzzword bingo stuff you hear out in the Valley. But as you start to have these challenges in your life, and I mean, severe challenges, not, I didn't get funded, not my company went away, not, I'm not making my revenue or whatever. I mean, those are, don't get me wrong. Every entrepreneur hates that stuff, but like real life shit, you know, your spouse may die. It puts it in perspective that, oh, there are some skills here that need to be developed and need to be talked about. And so, you know, started writing the book and 
you know, really was one of those things that was sort of for me during this time of great transition and great heartache and struggle. And, you know, she never got to read the full book. She read parts of it. So, you know, she was like, yeah, keep on going, you know, <laughs> make sure you stick it to the white man. I'm kidding. <laughs> she didn't really say white man, but she was, she was pretty fiery that way. Um, but yeah, I published it in 2017 and decided, well, you know, I was helping, um, helping Kevin for kind of help him with blue wire. This was, I don't know, 2018, 2019. I don't ever remember now. You know, I'm like, God, I've always wanted to do a podcast. And so I said, Hey, can you give me a podcast on the blue wire network? And they're like, well, you're not a sports guy. <laughs> Cause I'm not right. I only real sport I watch probably, or at least get, or I'm, I'm excited about is MMA and jujitsu and stuff. So, but they're like, okay, we'll, we'll let crazy uncle Jari have a podcast. And they're all, but whatever you do, this is, these are the rules. <laughs> and him and Peter like sat me down. These are the rules. Okay. Rule number one, you must be consistent. At least one podcast a week, minimum. I said, okay. Number two, you have to commit to a year. Do this for at least a year. I said, okay, I think I can do that. And number three, don't look at the numbers. It will just drive you crazy. Don't even think about growth, whatever, until you've done this for a year and you, you know, whatever. So I said, okay. Oh, the other one was do five episodes and then launch it. <laughs> I think they're like, are you really serious about this? So that's how the podcast was born. And I've, I'm at 103, 104 episodes now over this last year. I've, had, I've obviously had you on and had a lot of great people on and it's just been a lot of fun to learn. I think that's the best thing is the conversations about what I don't know about entrepreneurship, which I know a lot, but like just that whole thing has just been so, it's been amazing. I've, I've talked to some just amazing people. So it's really cool. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to digest there on what you said. And one thing that stood out to me about podcasting in particular is sort of the, the rules that they gave you, because I think it's very true. And it's something that, did you ever dabble with Clubhouse at all? You know, I sort of did. I, I honestly don't get it. Um, I, I think I did a couple of them and then I'm like, okay, I'm not, uh, this is not, not for me. I don't know if it's how well it's going to do, but there's definitely a lot of copycats out there. They literally, Facebook had one, Twitter has one, Twitch has, well, I mean, sorry, um, TikTok or I name a social media platform. They probably stole it because <laughs> it's smart, right? Yeah, it's uh, I got to appeal to it. I I kind of went all in on it for about 10 days. And then after that, it kind of just fizzled out. Um, it, was, it was rather boring to me. But the reason why I bring that up is because I would I would go into a lot of podcasting 101, how to build a pod. I'm like, oh, shit, this is pretty interesting. And I'd go in there and there's a thing that Dr. Eric Thomas, the hip hop preacher, said one time and and. Uh, I've, I've gotten to connect with him through the years because one of my really close friends, probably the best man at my wedding one day, Jari, when, when we find a, 
a plus one that will be willing to, <laughs> <laughs> to allow me to get down on a knee and propose there because <laughs> there's a lot going on over here yeah 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 that's true that's true so uh he he's like eric thomas's right hand man my buddy mustafa he's been on the show four or five times and he, anytime he comes on the show we have these like wild deep life conversations and we have fun with them too and i i honestly get the most feedback from those conversations than i do anything else that i do jordan and one of the reasons why is because we've known each other since we were uh, nine years old and he's muslim and we grew up together in new york city during 9-11 and he went through a lot of crazy shit and people just antagonizing him and it was a different very different perspective growing up that he had so one thing that Eric Thomas said was sweat equity. Why should I talk to an athlete about entrepreneurship? Why should I talk to someone about podcasting? And what I saw with Clubhouse and what I see on a lot of different platforms is people don't have an idea what they're talking about. And just because they have status and they have a following or they're verified or they're a person of a public figure doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about. So when it came to Clubhouse, I would just chime in on conversations and I, I maybe talked three times in a Clubhouse for a total of eight minutes, I would say. And that's how I got my entire 200 person following up, like immediately people. And I would come in and say, yo, I, I hate to be this guy, but I'm coming from a different perspective. I've been doing this for about five and a half years. I've done thousands of episodes. I was producing three different shows a week seven six to seven episodes a week and being consistent all those cliches it's true right and i i think it's very similar to entrepreneurship because a lot of podcasters are entrepreneurs you're starting it from the the ground up you're building your own brand you got to promote it you got to fund it you're going to be in the red for a long long time but there needs to be that light at the end of the tunnel there needs to be something to keep you motivated and inspired what similarities have you seen in podcasting, both your personal experience, the people that you've talked to, whether at Blue Wire or just in general about podcasting and entrepreneurship? Yeah, no, that's a great, that's actually a really great question. Very, very astute of you to kind of connect them together because it is true that if you're a podcaster, you're by definition an entrepreneur, especially if you're trying to build something from nothing. That's what entrepreneurs do. Like that's our, we're, we're the, we're the artists of the business world. Like we're the first to believe, man. It's like, like with Kevin, Kevin, who, who the hell even was Kevin Jones? Like when I met him, he, he, he you know, there was a point where he's like, I don't, I don't even know if I should keep on doing blue wire because it wasn't going very well. Right. But as an entrepreneur and as someone that's creative and you see a spark in someone, you're like, well, man, hey, Kevin, you got something like I believe you need to believe in yourself because, yeah, it's going to be a shitty ride. People are going to be like, oh, you should do this and do that. And oh, blah, blah, blah. And you're kind of like, well, I'm just doing the best I can. And I think the thing that that most entrepreneurs get wrong, which I think is similar to podcasters is they don't understand the blue collar work ethic required. 80, 90% of this is not fun, quote unquote, <laughs> right? It's like, get like, like you're, you, when you were on my show, you're like, I get up at three in the morning so that I can eat. You know, I got my cart on the corner of, where's the corner again? Like, 
49th and Park in the city. 49th and Park. Your dad's the mayor of 49th and Park. Your pop, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but you literally every day get up to go to work, to make money, to do your art. Like that is the most, that is, that is the grind. Like that is what you have to do. The shit you don't want to do in order to do the stuff you want to do. And as for entrepreneurs, same thing. 80% of being an entrepreneur, 90% of entrepreneurs, boring, stupid stuff like, oh, got to clean the bathroom. Yep, got to pay a pair. I mean, dumb stuff that is not fun. And I think the same is with, you know, producing a podcast. Any kind of business that's creative and you're creating something from nothing, you got to do the blue collar work. You got to have the discipline to get up at three in the morning, do your day job, and then do you what you love. And eventually what will happen is what you love to do will be what you do. And, and for entrepreneurs and generally anyone like creating as an artist, right? It's, it's a grind, man. Like, you know, I, there's parts of make doing a podcast. I absolutely hate <laughs> God, man, do I really have to do X, Y, Z, but I know if I want to produce a good podcast, I want to get a good guest. I want to have a good conversation. I have to show up to do some research. You know, I have, there's some things that aren't fun about it, but, but then the joy and the magic, and it's the same thing when you have a company, the magic of a company is when you build something someone wants and they give you money for it. There's no other feeling like that as an entrepreneur. That's validation. For us as podcasters, it's someone giving a review. It's someone listening. It's someone buying a t-shirt, right? Or whatever. It's all makes it worth it. And if you're not in it for, if you're not, well, if you can't do the blue collar work 90% of the time to do the 10% of the fun stuff, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna succeed at any kind of entrepreneurial event or company or podcast or anything creative. I think. Yeah, there was a uh, statistic that was floating around around. Uh, I would say over the summer, this past summer, 2020, and that was where a lot of people started creating their own podcast. All right, everybody living at home have a lot more times. So they finally pulled the trigger on something that they probably wanted to do for a long time. And some of the numbers that stood out to me, Jari, were very both concerning and obvious. And it goes a lot into what you were talking about. Don't look at the numbers. It's about, I mean, at the time it was like 1.6 million podcasts on Apple. This was an Apple article only. Obviously now you have like Spotify exclusive or Stitcher exclusives, whatever it might be. Dude, there was, I think, around 40,000, 400,000 podcasts that didn't surpass 20 episodes. And I'd be lying to you if I, if I told you that, yeah, some of them were like a seasonal thing. Like they did, a, you know, like they did like American Prodigy, right? It's like a five, six episode series that Blue Wire is doing. And then it disappears for a couple of months and then a new one comes out. So I don't know how many of those 400,000 Jari fit that mold, but the one thing that I took from that is like, yeah, no shit, that's the number because people don't see the growth immediately and they get discouraged with, with anything. And I think one thing that happens with a lot of people in conversations that I've had is I prefer the slow grind because you need to have a foundation down before that explosion. And sure, the like I've had I've had videos go viral, uh, and then the next one doesn't, right? Like, it's just 
it's weird. The algorithms are weird. What hits are weird. You think you're talking about a topic that's hot right now and it doesn't do as well as something that was an evergreen topic. You're like, what the hell? What is, what is going on? But a lot of it has to do with like experimenting. And do you think that how, how often do you see a guy or girl have this idea? They're entrepreneurs. They've interacted with you. You believe in them. And then they cut ties on their, on their project too soon because of them getting discouraged. I would say every entrepreneur gets discouraged at a point where they just want to quit. Um, and most people quit too early. Um, I can't, I'm trying to think from a statistics point of view, my guess is it would be, I mean, hundred percent of the people that quit, quit too early, <laughs> to be honest, because th this is a game of complete random chance. And people may say, well, you see all the Zuckerbergs and the, you know, Valderboss twins or whoever they were and all these like awesome entrepreneurs and oh, Elon Musk, he's got five companies and blah, 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 blah. Right. Well, if you look at the history of even Elon Musk as an example, there were times where he's literally on the verge of bankruptcy. Like I'm done. I'm literally going to be done. And it was some luck, some hustle, a lot of hard work that someone gave him some money. Boom. Now he's what he is. There's countless, countless times where someone was literally on the edge of the precipice gonna literally fall off the cliff and if they just would have worked a little harder or like believed a little more it could have changed because this is a this is a game of probability it, it's it's a it's a numbers game i mean you, you you like to talk about gambling and stuff it's a gamble the odds are really shitty <laughs> i mean it's a, it's a one in ten chance that you're going to make it as an entrepreneur and that's conservative, right? You want to be a unicorn, it's one in a hundred, one in a thousand. A unicorn's a company that's over a billion dollars in valuation. Those companies take anywhere from six to eight years to build. They're never overnight successes. And even the ones that have peaky, you know, um, like vir virality, Being, going viral once is, is a complete fluke, right? Going viral multiple times is like the, the goal. But the, the whole even term going viral is a random event. You can't plan it because if you could plan it, everyone would go viral. And there's no, there's no formula for it as an example. So as an entrepreneur, the only thing you can do is you have to trust the process that you're in. You have to trust, okay, I've got an idea, I validate it, I just gotta keep on grinding and grinding and grinding. And when you don't trust the process and, you, and to your point, you look at the numbers and you're worried about all these things. And again, don't get me wrong, you gotta eat. So I'm not saying like, don't start. But it takes longer than you think, always. There's never, a, no one would have thought like Google would take this long to go public or, or even some of the things that are these wildly successful. Oh, we started two years ago and we went public. It's an absolute complete fluke. And, and if you probably dug into it, the idea they had was probably generated 10 years ago because it takes that long for things to sort of ramp up, right? I mean, even look at Bitcoin. Bitcoin for the first five years of its existence was trading it under like 25 cents. I mean, no one, who, what the hell is this Bitcoin thing, right? No one ever in a billion years gave a shit about it. And then all of a sudden they did. Why? Uh, who knows? Total, it's almost, it's, I wouldn't say it's totally random, 
but it's, it's actually being at the right place at the right time with the right kind of market conditions to take advantage of this luck and this opportunity. I mean, you know, sports betting as an example, let's say, you know, you're a, you're a poker player. Well, you could play perfect poker by the numbers and the odds and you'll still lose because there's a part of it that's luck. And there's a part of it is you're not playing the game. You're playing the people in the game, right? Like anything, it's the same with entrepreneurship. You could have the perfect product, the perfect technology with all the money in the world. And like your, your example of Clubhouse. Clubhouse is actually a really good example of this. Meteoric rise, absolute meteoric rise. Everyone's like, I got to get in Clubhouse. You and I had the same experience with it. Eh, not worth the hype. It will probably get bought hmm. or probably go away. Or Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you, I mean, they'll literally do what Facebook you know, did with TikTok or with Snap. They'll steal the idea. Done. Okay. It wasn't because they weren't good people. It wasn't because they didn't have a great technology. They literally hit the inflection point. Imagine, hey, the cl- idea of Clubhouse is, oh, I have my very own talk radio channel that's live. Everyone loves, I mean, you're a sports guy, sports talk radio. When we, when I was a kid, we'd listen to the AM, you know, 740 sports in the morning shit all day. I mean, like every people would call in and the nine, yeah. Cause we're nine. Of course I'm in the West coast and like Niners fans back in the day when they were really good. I mean, they're probably okay now, but you know what I mean? Like <clears throat> they captured <clears throat> an idea in a marketplace. They exploited that market or that idea. And then, okay, let's see what happens. Same with podcasts, same way. Like to your point, all these podcasts are starting, but then people don't put the work in and then they go away. And so really, you know, there's maybe 1.6 million podcasts. There's probably, I don't know, a thousand to 10,000 times as many websites, blog, probably more than that. Like, I don't know how many billions of blogs out there. Yeah. Well, you know, the people that are going to keep at it are going to reap the rewards, right? So, Yeah, I wonder how many of them ended up quitting because they didn't have people in their corner showing them love and support, which is another issue I think a lot of entrepreneurs suffer. And shit, Jari, I mean, I recently, recently, I finally got my parents on board. Uh, different generation. My dad is off the boat Greek, 55 years old. He just turned this year. Um, my mom grew up in the States, but still was a little late to the party with the whole social media era. My dad can't fathom to this day how I get people of public figures and athletes on my show. They're like, dude, you're a nobody. Like, how did, how did you get them? Right. And I, I, the term, the term nobody for me has become such a badge of honor because I, um, over the summer, I had a conversation with someone from a very prestigious network about doing some stuff with them. And the lady was just like, I know how she meant it. She meant it like in a, in a rewarding way. Like, you know, you build something from the ground up and obviously there was this split that happened with my show. And then from there, Kevin finds me, which was uh, another thing like validation we kind of touched on before, which, which I think is also very important because it just gives you the indication that, all right, all right, man, all the sacrifices, all the time that I'm wasting, missing birthday parties and canceling on people because I want to stay in to edit this video or do this podcast. 
it's working, which is something that you need to have, right? Like, I don't think there's anything bad. And I, I do believe that a lot of people have too much pride to be like, man, I don't care what nobody thinks. Like, no, I do. I, I care what my listeners think. They're, in a way, my employer, right? Like, I'm getting paid per downloads and ads and all this stuff. But a lot of it is because, oh, here's this new crew neck. Here's this new sponsor. Go check it out. Use the promo code or download this new podcast. It's because you're building this foundation, right? So I, uh, going back to the nobody thing, she was just like, yeah, you know, you, you popped up on our radar, which is another thing, which one day I'm going to make that into something as well. The popped up on our radar. I, 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 you got to make a t-shirt out of that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to, I'm going to get on it too, before one of these legends steal my idea. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, dude, like the, and she said like, oh, you're a nobody. Right. And I get how she meant it. Cause she elaborated too. But I, I try to find like the whole Jordan thing. Like I took that personally. I try to find like little things to get me going and riled up. Right. Like one of my really close friends, Dominic grew up with him. Uh, just super tight. We hang out all the time too. But, uh, when when the show broke up with my buddies, he uh, came and visited me in the city. Now, granted, this is maybe 2019, October, peak season at our job. He came and he saw there's like 10 to 12 people waiting online for coffee and sandwiches. He's like, dude, like, he's like, fuck this podcast thing, man. Like, you know, everyone left. Like, how far can you take it on your own? Uh, just give up. You're wasting all this time. You're throwing your life away. You're not coming out to the bars with us. You're not doing all that. And I just turned to him and I was like, hey, man. What I'm doing, what does it, does it bother you? Like, am I doing anything to you that is disrupting your living and your life? And he was like, no. I was like, yeah, just let me be. You know, like, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't bother nobody. I don't, I don't ask you for money to fund any of this stuff. You know what I mean? And I get where he was coming from. But with some of the things that have transpired over the last couple of months, he was the first person that I told. I was like, hey, man, remember when you told me what you told me? I was just like, D-Generation X. <laughs> politely like a gentleman that's the kind of guy i am like i remember these things do i do i let it like bring me completely down no but i do do the whole i i, I take notes i put you on the menu yeah yeah well i mean and, and that's and i'm glad you brought that up because w when you're an entrepreneur it's not just you it's the people your friends and family that love you and most people come from a place of love because they really, they don't want to see you fail. They don't want to see you destitute. They, they, and, and some of them are worried you're going to sleep on their couch and take money from them. I mean, my, <laughs> my, my mom and dad still have no clue. Like, and I mean, I've been doing this for over 25 years. They still have no idea. What, why don't you just get a real job, right? And I'm like, I have a job. But they're old school. I mean, my dad's 82. My mom's 78. They're like, you know, grew up back in the day where, you know, he worked at United Airlines for 34 years. Like that was his job. And ironically, he got, he, he got retired early because of 9-11. They're like, no more room for you. Boom, gone, right? Like that, retired early. Um, so yeah, I mean, in, but the thing that's interesting is that, so you have to have a group of people that will support you no matter what. And usually you're, you're you know, you're, again, your friends and family, the people close to you, they love you. They do not want to see you fail. They don't want to see you suffer. They may not understand what you're doing, but generally they they're, have your best interests at heart, at least the way they see it from their perspective, right? So from my dad's perspective, as an example, he's like, well, come just work at United Airlines with me and have a safe, comfortable job. And I'm like, 
dad, I, I went to school in San Jose. I'm in the middle of Silicon Valley. Like I, I, I got to go to a startup, right? I have to It'd be crazy not to. And I went to school with all these startup guys. But the thing that I think to your point is that to me as well is sort of the fuel of, well, I believe in me and you may not believe in me. And I appreciate your, you know, I appreciate what you say, but yeah, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, because as an entrepreneur or any creative, any creative endeavor where you're putting yourself out there, where what Peter Thiel refers to as the zero to one of a business or anything from nothing to something is a very chaotic, a very random and a very failure prone endeavor. And what I've found is that I just like to hang out with entrepreneurs because they understand me. And so of course you have friends and family that never will, but if you hang out with people that understand you and get the hustle and get that, then that's the support system. And, you know, peer mentorship and getting with like-minded folks is, is like the best way to do that. And it's hard to do sometimes depending on where you are, but yeah. <laughs> I remember one time, like same thing. My dad's like, I told him, yeah, well, we had to shut the company down. He's like, well, I hope you're not going to move back home. <laughs> I'm like, uh, like I'm 40 dad. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to move back home. <laughs> but again, like, they're your parents. They're worried. Like, oh my gosh, my son, this, you know, is going to be on the couch and he's not going to get married. Who, who's going to want to have, you know, who's going to want to be with you, you know, <laughs> whatever. Right. You know what I mean? you got to have a good job so you can support a family. I'm trying to do bad Greek. So I, so I apologize. <laughs> no, nah, but you're, you're absolutely, absolutely right. right. Like, like my, my mom, mom, my mom, mom at this point, point is just like, like, I just, just hope, hope you get, get married. married. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> It's funny to see like the transition from them, right? Like growing up, I have a very, it's weird, right? Cause like my mom is, I don't even know if this is the right term, but like Americanized, like she grew up in the States, right? My dad is off the boat Greek and, and look, I, we're very like gr Greek is like a big part of our life and it's like at our core, that's what we are. And we do have a lot of the cultural stuff that we deal with, but it's funny, like growing up until I was like about 18, it was like, you got to bring home a Greek girl. Got to be a Greek girl. <laughs> yeah. And me, like my, my town in Astoria, like it's, it's one of the most diverse cities in the whole world. Honestly, I talk about this all the time, how there's a, there's a strip called Ditmars Boulevard, right? It's, it, it's in Astoria and dude, it's a 10 block radius. You could get 35 different countries like cuisine. You get Mexican, you get South African, Japanese, Korean, Greek, French, like all in on the same block, right? So my entire high school was, I'd say like 40% white, 60% minorities, Hispanic and, and black. So like my whole upbringing was not around just like Greeks, right? Even though Astoria, don't get it twisted, Astoria is predominantly Greek and Italian. That was never like something that I grew up around, right? So I get into my 20s and, you know, I dated just one Greek girl and my mom was like, all right, as long as she's a nice girl, we could deal with that. And, and, then, it, and then, it got, then it got to a point, then it got to the point, Joy, where, where my mom was just like, dude, just get married. <laughs> She's like, please. She's like, you're such a mess. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks for being a team player and supporting me. 
all mothers are the same. It doesn't matter like where are you from. I hear the same stuff. I mean, it's it's just funny. Yeah, it, I yeah. So well, maybe one day you'll get you'll find a nice girl. Yeah, yeah. So uh, going back to the entrepreneur stuff, right? Why we kind of segued into like the whole family stuff is because I. I don't hang out with the same people that I did growing up. And a lot of it has to do with number one. The main reason is like life got in the way. People are starting families, kids moving. One of my close friends, I was actually talking to him today. My buddy Danny bought a house in Connecticut a couple months ago. He lives out there now with his wife. Just had a, a kid last year expecting another one. Now, one of my closest friends, I talk to him, I think every day, whether Xbox or, or in chat or Sometimes he calls me on the phone because I'm up so early in the morning. His commute into the city where he works. He's like, yo, let's just chat on the phone for 15, 20 minutes. He's coming over one of these days to like hang out. We're going to watch some NBA, maybe even do a podcast. But I haven't seen him in months. And a lot of my friends now growing up, everyone has sort of gotten complacent and comfortable with, all right, I make this amount of money. I'm going to have my pension. I'm going to have my job security. And like, dude, I, my dad is the definition of like a hustler, right? Like self-employed. You don't work. You don't eat. And I always liked that because it allowed him to do other things. It allows me to do other things. And, you know, not all, all my friends want me to do well, I think. But a lot of them are just now catching on board like, oh, first of all, you're still doing it. And it's it's a marathon, man. And I think that's one thing that late gratification is something that our society really lacks and has a lot to do with like the mindset of an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's totally delayed gratification. It's just such a grind. It can be such a grind. You, you just got to enjoy the process. I, I, it sounds cliche, but it's the journey. It honestly is because there's hardly ever going to be a time where you're going to make this huge amount of money. I mean, don't get me wrong, right? I would love nothing more than to make a ton of money doing what I do. But I do what I do to create an independent life that completes me because I really love the freedom to create. Like freedom for me is a big value. So if you value freedom, then this entrepreneur gig is probably one of the best. If that is not something that you care about, if you care more about safety and security, and we can debate whether or not, you know, a job at a company is safe and secure, but if that's sort of your mindset, then yeah, this isn't the job for you. Um, and, you know, what's interesting is that <laughs> probably 5% of the population can really be entrepreneurs. And a lot of other people think they can be entrepreneurs. So they, you know, do a side hustle or whatever. And everyone always that I've always met is, oh, there's two things that I hear either like, oh, I'd love to write a book one day. 90% of the people I meet say that, or yeah, you know, I have an idea for a company. I'd love to do that, but then they never do it. <clears throat> so really, you know, the entrepreneur mindset is about trying new things. It's about not being complacent. It's about hustling in the good way. It's about, you know, I, I'm, I'm moving the world forward. I'm trying, I'm trying to like live my best life because, you know, I value these things. I value freedom. I value creativity. I value being in charge of my own destiny. Like your, your pop hustling every morning 
to sell his products to customers coming by through all the hardships and struggle and snow and sleet and rain. I mean, like all that, like, you know, he, he probably could have got a job as a mailman or whatever, like, who knows? But he chose that life because it's something that completes him. And some people, it, it goes kind of both ways. Normally people are jealous of the freedom. I, I have found that that's the biggest one where they're like, oh yeah, they're happy for you, but they secretly want you to fail because then it would prove the point that what they're doing is the right thing. When deep down they're like, God, I wish I was as free as Nick. <laughs> I wish I, man, I wish I could do what he does. How brave. And, and they may not tell you that to your face, but you can sense it. You can sense it. And the same with entrepreneurs. Like there's lots of people that are, oh, you know, I have this idea for a company, but oh, I don't want to give up my day job. And you're like, okay, then don't give your day job up. You know, because it's, it's not just like, oh, I have to quit my comfortableness. I can do something about it if I really wanted to. Same with writing a book as an example, which is a great example. So most people like, oh yeah, I want to write a book or whatever but no one sits down every day and writes 250 words. Cause if you sat down every day and wrote 250 words by the end of a year, you'd have a book. <laughs> it's writers, write, Entrepreneurs create companies, artists create art. You just got to start. And when people see that gumption, it's because one, because they're afraid, mostly it's they're afraid. Oh, I don't want to break the bubble of this beautiful life. I don't want people to really understand that, you know, how, how tenuous it is. And I think also a little bit of jealousy because I mean, you're happy doing what you want to do. Like you're not beholden to the man. You're not, you're not grinding on some job you hate and just, you know, hopeful for the weekend in your crappy two week vacation that you're not going to take because you know, your boss is frowns on you taking vacation because that means you're not committed to the company. It's like, that's no, I'm doing it for me. And I think people, people respond to that. People are jealous of that. People envy that. And yeah, a lot of people want validation of their life choices, a good life choice. And well, I mean, ain't going to happen for me. <laughs> I mean, people may look at me like, well, Jari, you could have worked at a big company. You could have had been a VP or a C-level or whatever. Like you squandered your life doing this stupid stuff. And I'm like, I didn't squander my life because the most important thing to me is my time. Uh, you cannot, you can't replace your time. So yeah, it's funny. It's, it's a very interesting thought, you know? You mentioned, you mentioned freedom. And that is that that's exactly it. People can never have enough, right? It's never it's never good enough, right? Like I had a I had a I had a conversation with my old high school football coach one day. He came out to my house in Long Island and we recorded a podcast. And uh he asked me, he was like, What what number in your head financially would would validate everything you're doing and make you happy? And I told him the number. And the number was a million. I was like, if I can one day make a million dollars a year, that's, and, and this is where like context is everything and, and perspective is everything. It's like, dude, that's $2,800, $2,700 a day it comes out, right? Like that's, I would have to work an entire month 
and two weeks waking up at three in the morning, flipping all these fucking eggs and making all these coffees to make that. And then you can make that daily. Like, dude, my favorite thing to do is like enjoy my time. Like I really like living and I, I hate when I talk to customers and I talk to my friends and they're like, Oh, it's hump day. Uh, one more day to the weekend. It's like, dude, <laughs> what the fuck? Do you not enjoy yourself throughout the week? Like I look, you know what my favorite day of the week is? Monday. I love Mondays. I put out a podcast. I record a podcast. I get two workouts in. I get my jujitsu. It starts off my entire week. And it's it's my busiest day of the week. Right off the bat, I just chilled on the weekend. I come in guns blazing. Like, that's my favorite day of the week. This idea that you're just, like, working towards the weekend, it's so, like, lame to me. I, I it, it, it irks me. Not a lot of things get me upset. It's the Eagles. It's uh, it's not 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 the band, the Eagles. I'll tell you about like the football team. Fuck the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> and I apologize if anyone on Blue Wire has a podcast that has to do with the Eagles. We got so many of, but f- fuck them. Fuck, f- can't can't. They've ruined. They've altered my my happiness, Jari. It hurts. <laughs> As a Giants fan, a thirty year old Giants fan, there's no other team that we hate more. They've ruined playoffs. They ruined Victor Cruz's career when he got hurt over there. So it, it it hurts if you can't tell by my passion when talking about it. Yeah, 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 exactly. But this this idea that like you work towards it's like Friday, right? We're recording on the Thursday. Tomorrow all my customers are gonna say the same shit. Oh, thank God it's Friday. It's like, yeah, man, I get it. I get it. But it's like you you don't have nothing else that you look forward to. There's nothing that excites you. Dude, I'll never forget this. I was at uh CW Post, a private university in Long Island. And it was one of those where uh, a guy who owns a Fortune 500 company comes. You're talking about like hundreds of million dollars is his, his, his salary yearly and what what he's his net worth, excuse me. And yeah, you know, we had like the orientation. There's like through two, three hundred people talking, and he you know he's answering asking questions and he's giving us his story. And people are asking the same questions like, "What do you look in an intern? And what do you look in a job interview and all that?" And, dude, I was sitting, like, in the front because I always, like, sitting in the front of, of anything. And uh, I kind of just stood up. And I was wearing sandals and, 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 and sweatpants and a hoodie. A hoodie, right? We were talking about the hoodies before. No no vest on me unless it's Stone Cold's vest. <laughs> Stone so, Cold. So, so we're talking. I was like, and literally how I started it was, like, so unprofessional. I get it. But I'm just, like, 100% who I am. I'm just like. Hey, man, I don't really need to ask any questions about like business stuff or whatever, but what's your work-life balance like? Because my dad is self-employed, but he always made my soccer practices and made all my games. I was like, based on your schedule, and I know I'm just assuming, so I apologize. I was like, I don't think you make your kids games all the time. And gave me a tremendous answer after the class, Jari, on everything. He walked past everyone, came right to me. He's like, what's your name, where you're from, the whole nine. Like, I asked him a question that really was different from everything else. And I've taken that lesson into, like, how I do my podcast also. And just kind of how, like, I approach things on a day-to-day where um, I I try to make things different. Like, when I tell people to come on the show, I, I let them know, like, yeah, it's going to be different. We're going to talk about random stuff. I, I don't want to know... 
I don't want to say I don't want to know because we spent a large time on like entrepreneurship, which is your background. But like we're about to start talking about jujitsu, which I had no idea that you did. Right. And and it's just like you, you don't have something. You don't have something that you do on the side. I think it's so important for your sanity, too, man, because, look, I've I've had my own issues with depression and mental health stuff. And and I I, uh, I was someone where it got really dark for me, too. And I thought about like suicide and shit. And it's like if I didn't have my show, if I didn't have this thing that I was working on and I really, really enjoyed. I don't know if we'd be having this conversation, to, to be honest with you. And I think it's just so important, like. There's enough time in the day, man. You just have to prioritize your shit. Like, you can't always play Xbox, dude. Like, I love Call of Duty. I'm not that good at it, but I spend hours and hours. So now what I do, Jari, my Sundays, my Sundays, it's my Xbox day. Don't call me. If you're my friend and you want me, the party is always open. Just hop on in there. We can shoot the shit. <laughs> but, but it's like, I think it's so important, man, to find something to, to distract you from everything else that's going on. Am I ignorant? Am I am I off on this too? Like no, no, no. Because see, like, and I wouldn't call it a distraction per se. So, uh, unfortunately, in our society, especially here in the U.S., we put a lot of value on what you do for a living. We put a lot of value on your education. You went to college. You get a graduate degree. Are you a doctor? Are you a lawyer? Where do you work? How much money do you make? What's the trappings of success? What kind of car do you drive? I mean, all the bullshit. It's all bullshit. Hundred percent bullshit. And I can tell you that because I actually used to feel this exact same way until I lost like half of it all, like, cause I got divorced. This was before I met Jane, literally it's all gone. And it's in a nanosecond, all gone. And then what do you have? You have you and you, you matter for just being you, who you are, what space you have on the planet, not what you do, not what you're worth. Not how, not where you've been, like you as a person matter. And I didn't learn that until Jane died. The day Jane died was the day I learned the most important lesson of my life, which was your time is the most valuable thing you have. And you should spend every day you have that you were lucky enough to wake up doing something that you either enjoy or that's going to move the world forward. And I didn't even really fully grasp that concept until I met my fiance now, Minerva, who taught me that I am valuable because of who I am, not what I do. Because I've been driven my whole life by all the accomplishments, all the six books, the startups, the money. I mean, driven 100% by that. And unfortunately, it took tragedy. It took tragedy and then finding love again and having someone that loved me say, you are valuable for who you are. Once you kind of understand that and you're a little more, I want to say, <clears throat> zen about it, for lack of a better word, you see the world in a different way. You know, all the time people will ask, you know, they'll want to maximize their time on something or they'll be like, even for my show, right? My, you know, my show's not as popular as yours, right? But I'm grinding on it. I'm learning a lot and I'm having fun and I'm, I'm literally do it to practice talking to people, to be honest, because I really, I'm not very good at talking to people. So I got to practice and why not practice on people that I love to talk to, right? So 
I sometimes get, well, how many people have downloaded your episode? What's the reach? Like all these metrics of, well, it really, that doesn't matter. What you should be spending your time on and what you should invest in yourself is conversations, things in the world that not only enlighten you or enrich you, but enrich the world around you. So even if on this show, I mean, I know you have way more listeners than I do, but let's just say only 50 people listen to us talk. And one of those people, one, just one, was inspired to be like, yeah, fuck this corporate bullshit, crappy corporate coffee in my, I'm going to go live my dream and I'm going to do it in a, you know, in a responsible way. I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not telling you like quit your job and make it be destitute. I'm saying if, you, if, if you're miserable at what you're doing, you really need to think about that. Because I, I guarantee you in the end, when you're my age, you know, I'm 50, you're going to look back and go, God, why the hell did I work so hard at something that I didn't care about? Because it doesn't matter. None of the, tra- I mean, even the, the players that I know, like they're multimillionaires. I mean, not even just Dion and Dontari. I mean, I've worked with Marshawn Lynch. I've worked with all these guys. Like, I mean, I really respect them. In fact, it's amazing, like very good people. But in some cases they, they lack the, they don't have the freedom to do what they want to do because they're famous. Right. And, I can tell it bothers them. It really does. And the money's great. Don't get me wrong. They love the money, but if you can't be you, that's, that's tough. That's really tough. I mean, I see my dad now. My dad, he's 82. He got uh, diagnosed with dementia. And he's changing. He's just not him anymore. And I, I look at like his life and what he did. And I mean, he, again, he was a corporate. <laughs> My mom was same way, worked at a job, did the right thing. But he, you know, he always wanted more. He always wanted to do something else, but he's like, oh, I'll do that when I retire. I'll do that when I retire. Well, he retires for a while, did some stuff, but now he can't. I don't know if he regrets that, but I can tell you when I look at that and I'm like, I don't want that for me. I got to do what I got to do, man. I got to not, I got, again, I got to enjoy every day. Every, every day to me is a gift. How am I going to use my day? And when you have that attitude, I think it makes all these ups and downs just way easier to deal with. And, you know, I'm not looking to be super famous like you one day, (laughs) but, uh, but, you know, I mean, if I, if I like, you know, no, you no Kevin, no, you know, these guys, I'm satisfied. So as long as I can live my life and enjoy the day. And I think the other thing that's important is giving back. And, you know, right now I'm trying to like, you know, educate and inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs by teaching them what I know. Like, yeah, who am I? Right. Like, you know, you'll get that. Who are you? Like, who is Nick? Like you guys don't have anything to say. Well, we do because everyone has a voice. Everyone has something to say. You can learn from anyone. I mean, I learn from you all the time. You're younger than I am. I learned from Kevin. I learned from all these younger people and these older people because we as a life experience, right? We have something to give and we're valuable for what, who we are, not what we do. And yeah, I try to instill that in young entrepreneurs as well. Cause they're all about, Oh, I want to be like the next, blah, like pick your favorite unicorn, right? Pick your favorite tech company. And I'm like, well, that's a good old goal to have, but you better enjoy 
the grind on the way there because it ain't easy, man. It ain't easy at all. It ain't easy. You started this entire thing with, uh, you know, cars, house, money, education. You know, that's one of the reasons why the United States is going to take a long time, which I shouldn't say that because this core of young soccer players that the United States have now is is probably the, the I wouldn't say the golden era, but the platinum era of American soccer. A lot of these guys are 18 to 22, 23 years old. The biggest kicker, Jari, is that they're playing overseas already, right? The one downfall to the United States and their soccer system is when you're 16 years old, if you pull your kid out of a high school in San Francisco to go play professionally, nobody is going to tell you, good shit, Jari, you see something. They're going to be like, Jari, you're a fucking idiot. Like, no education? So what happens? The 16-year-olds overseas and in South America and in Europe, they're on professional teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Our guys got to go to high school. Then you got to go to college. Then you get drafted to the MLS. You're 22 years old. You have a six-year gap between the 22-year-old in the United States and in the Netherlands at playing soccer, where now we have Gio Reyna plays in Borussia, 18 years old. You got Pulisic. He's going to be in the Champions League final next weekend with the goalie, Stefan, who plays for Man City. Like, this is a huge accomplishment for American soccer. You got McKinney, who plays for Ronaldo at Juventus, 23 years old. Well, all these guys, Jari, Pulisic, his father took him out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, at like 14, 15. He's like, yo, this kid is different. Let's try it. Let's try it. You know, like, he'll be all right. Bam, look at it now. So that's very interesting. And also another thing that my buddy Mustafa once told me that I think it ties into what you were talking about, about like the status and, and wanting to be the next whatever. People ask you, what do you do? So they realize how much respect to give you. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Right. right? So it's like, if you, if you ask me, hey, Nick, what do you do? Oh, I'm a lawyer. You're going to be like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're a lawyer, right? Or... Or you're a, you're a cop, you're a, a, a teacher, a professor, right? Or a chemist. But then if I'm like, ah, I'm self-employed, I flip eggs. You're like, oh, all right, let's not take Nick too serious, right? Or, oh, you're an entrepreneur. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, aren't we all, right? So it's like people ask you what you're doing in order to understand how much respect to give you. And for a while, I was embarrassed, buy it because i didn't i didn't know what i was doing right i, I tell the story all the time I was you're young i mean you're young you know right but like it's we also come from the the era of social media now where it's like a lot of comparing right and you know my entire high school class is over here and i'm like way behind them where at the time i was ahead of them right like i was ahead and then you get overlapped and then it's it's just it's just a weird feeling to have but now it's it's very comforting to, to just know, again, the freedom thing that we were talking about. That was a big buzzword that we were discussing. Yeah. Freedom. Uh, Freedom's important. For yeah, me, man. Anyway. Nah, for me too. That's why, that's why I think, you know, the entrepreneur grind isn't for everybody. But it does, it does, it feels different when you're doing it yourself too. Yeah. I mean, you have your, to a certain degree, you have your destiny in your hands, right? Um, and it seems more risky 
just from the outside, but it's actually not as risky as you may think. And I think a lot of people don't really fully understand that. The, the skills that you learn as an entrepreneur, even as a young entrepreneur, if you got a zig and zag and something happens, you lose your job, like you know how to hustle, honestly. And you know what it feels like to like eat top ramen. <laughs> you know what it feels like to, shit, I can't do this, that, or the other thing. I gotta like, I gotta ask people for help. But that's another thing that's really fascinating uh, is entrepreneurs are really, you know, they ask for help a lot. I mean, not as much as they should, but they know how hard a job it is. So, you know, you're down on your luck. You don't, you don't say, oh, I'm out of the game. I'm going to go grab a job. You may, but then you go, hey, who can help me? How can we help each other? And I think that's the powerful thing about all this. And, but yeah, <laughs> ah, I just wish I knew what I know now when I was your age. <laughs> I just really do, man. It's like, ah, but then I wouldn't be who I am, man. I just wouldn't be who I am. So. Listen, man, we're not going to agree with everything that happens along the way, but it made us who the fuck we are today. Yeah, 100%. 100%. 100%. There's, uh, there, there, there's, you know, prior to us recording, I didn't know the answer to this, and then you kind of mentioned it. You're an MMA fan. Yeah, a bit. A bit, yeah. So that is that is that your favorite sport? Yeah, I would say uh, soccer or football. You know, European football is my favorite. I don't watch a ton of sports, to be honest. I I love watching like MMA fights on YouTube breakdowns like mm. all the time. And that's because I like, you know, I, I practice jujitsu. So I'm always like, okay, how could I do this move? Right. Or I not even do this move. Like, I'm just like, Oh, interesting. Like how, cause I'm, I, I'm starting to get more and more in, into this because I'm starting to read a lot more about, um, like, Oh, the warrior culture, like the Hakaguri is a book about the samurai I'm reading. I, I'm just, I really am trying to like align to this idea of being a, uh, a warrior poet or philosopher warrior, you know, like this idea of intellectual and martial, you know, I always like to say I'm an intellectual knuckle dragger. <laughs> like I, I think this is an important thing for, especially, I mean, everyone, but I think especially men need to really, have this balance and and i was actually listening to john donaher on a podcast the lex friedman podcast who which is the one he just dropped i think today i mean you know just john donaher is like if you don't know who this guy he's like probably the best bjj coach now i mean he's just he is definitely an intellectual he's a warrior poet for sure and just listening to him about the art and how he learns and teaches his kids. And I mean, of course there's other BJJ practitioners and great coaches, but, but he changed the game, you know, when he was talking about heel hooks and, you know, all these things, you know, Gordon Ryan's one of his, his guys. And it was just, they completely changed the way even not only jujitsu from a you know, sport point, but even MMA and all these sort of things. And I'm, and I'm listening to him. And if you guys ever know who, you know, I'm sure you know who Lex is. You know, he's, he's a practitioner. I think he's a judo black belt. He's also a jujitsu player. Um, but he's just like this kind of inquisitive guy who's trying to figure out, you know, the world. But he's also got this side of him that's like, no, but then I know how to do and control my violence. And up until I was actually, I started jujitsu 
two weeks after Jane died. And I've always wanted to do it, but for whatever reason, that kind of pushed me over the edge to really fundamentally answer the question of, I need to be comfortable with violence. And that sounds strange <laughs> to people. Like, why would you need to be comfortable with violence? And the reason I think is that as a man who's big, I'm a big guy, like I'm, you know, 6'1", 215, like I'm a pretty big guy. I have, you know, I, I have an ability and I, I, I have the means that, you know, I, I could do some damage to people. And I need to respect that so that I don't do that. And I think this is part of the reason why people get in trouble, you know, like at a bar or whatever. They, their ego gets in the way and they think, oh, I'm a big guy, I can fight these people. Well, if you've ever fought anyone, if you've ever gotten choked out or smashed, you know, as you know, right? It's not fun. And you never know that other guy could be that, you know, 145 pound guy could be a black belt in judo or a MMA fighter and kill you, <laughs> right? So you respect, you respect the, the ability and you respect the, the violent nature or the violent side of you or that aggressive side to control it. And I had to have to come to terms with that every day. Every time I go into the jujitsu gym, I'm scared because I'm like, I'm going to, you know, like I gotta, I gotta defend myself. Right. Um, and so that's why I think MMA really, res really resonates with me. And I also think the reason it resonates with me is that it's pretty, uh, you know, I, they've got a, a women's division mm. and not a lot of combat sports traditionally at a women's division, especially an MMA, like striking and stuff. And, uh, I just always respected that. Like, gosh, man, these women are tough and the, and, 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 and not just like, they are taking the art to their like skill level, you know, and, and, and I just respect that. So that, that's the one I watch more often than anything. And of course I'll watch a football game every once in a while. If one of my players is playing, so I could say like, yeah, good job, man. <laughs> but I'm not a sports guy. I like to play sports and I like to compete, but I don't like to watch it. Dude, the UFC. So I, I've, I've known about John Donaher cause my favorite fighter ever is, St. Pierre. Mm, yep. And he trained George St. Pierre. And it's hard to disagree with him being the best mind in mixed martial arts when you look at Gordon Ryan, who's a lot of people are saying is the greatest no-gi jiu-jitsu practitioner ever. The Donaher Death Squad, which is they've won countless world championships. They, they're actually out of New York City. Not anymore. They're in Puerto Rico now because New York City is still very funky with the jiu-jitsu, which is like the ultimate anti-social distancing like thing you could do, right? Like the entire objective of jiu-jitsu is to get in close and to be... Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, they, they, I, was, I was listening to a podcast with one of the Gracies. Oh, what's his name? He, he, Sam Harris had him on. Oh, I'm going to... I can't escapes me. And he's talking about jujitsu for the police. And apparently New York banned police officers from, I mean, you can't like take someone's back. You can't like push on their belly. Some The choking, you're not allowed to. Yeah, because one of my good friends is a cop and we were talking about it because I told him, I was like, dude, you should come and do jujitsu. I was like, I'm not, I'm not asking you to get your black belt, but you know, there's, 
Jari, within, and I'm sure you can relate to this, a month of training three times a week, I felt so much better about things and just learning how to apply different techniques immediately just goes a long way. Well, and it's just the comfort with the, like I said before, the comfort with violence against you and not freaking out when someone's trying to choke you or someone's Mm -hmm. trying to take your back or someone's mounted you or someone's trying to, I mean, jujitsu, we don't do a lot of hitting, but like I have a friend that does Krav. And so now I'm practicing like punching and kicking because he's like, look, if someone's going to come up and try to do violence on you, chances are they're going to try to hit you or kick you. And chances are you're going to be standing up. And so you need to understand how to either get them to the ground to apply your jujitsu game (laughs) or like end the fight and run away. Cause you know, Krav is all about kill. I mean, it's just a crazy thing, but, but yeah, I mean, he was talking about how they're banning all of these holds and choke holds and stuff because they just don't know anything. I mean, literally, I, I, I don't know who makes these laws, but they have no clue what they're talking about. Zero because throughout martial arts and, you know, even the Gracie's who've done a great job with their defense system, which is an awesome system to learn especially if you're like someone that's weaker or smaller. I mean, jujitsu is made for the smaller person, the using leverage, using what you have, not your power and might. I mean, look at uh, who was the UFC one champion. Uh, What was his name? It was a Gracie. Of course, I forget his name. But anyway, was it? No. Anyway, so he was the smallest guy and he crushed everyone crushed everyone because he had the technique. And so, yeah, I don't get it. I mean, if you want to subdue someone and control them in the least violent way, that's not going to hurt you or them, you need to grapple them. You need to put them to the ground. You need to get on their back and you need to choke them out (laughs) because then they will not be a threat to anyone. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting what you say about the striking because I was doing a lot of cardio kickboxing for a couple of years when I started my weight loss. But then there'd be times after class where I would stay with the instructor who used to fight MMA in Venezuela and then was a Golden Gloves guy in, in New York City. So he would teach me a lot more different techniques and stuff. And he's like, look, this is completely different what we're doing He's like, look, 80% of the class is all women. It's just a funner exercise and, you know, you're dripping in sweat after. So I did that for the weight loss. But then I started picking up on different techniques and the understanding distance, right? Like, all right, I even if this guy is bigger than me and he's throwing up his hands, I know that, all right, I'm safe. He's this far away from me, right? Like in jujitsu, our coaches, they show us like, don't shoot if you can't tap his forehead. Right, because if you can't reach his forehead, there's no reason for you to shoot for a single leg or double leg being that far away. So understanding distance. My favorite thing about jujitsu, Jari, is it's very relatable to an actual real life conflict that could go down. And what I mean by this is my buddy Sergio, who got me into jujitsu, who passed away in December, he would tell me how I asked him one day, I was like, Yo, how do you check a leg kick? I was like, I don't know how to do it. I'm a big fan of UFC, but I never understood it. Like, what's the proper way? Dude, he gets up. He just finished eating. He's like, yo, throw a kick at me. I was like, for real? He's like, yeah, throw it like, he's like, I don't know. Put like 25% power. Jari, I throw one and he checks it like kneecap on my shin bone. And I was like, 
I'm going to stick to the grappling. I'm not doing this strike. Yeah. Okay. I was like, I'm good. I'm not trying to do this. It hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what I mean by the jujitsu, like jujitsu, when you go live and you start rolling, which is the version of sparring for jujitsu, it's called rolling. It's, it's a hundred percent, right? So like when you go into a fight, if you were to get into a fight on the street, the, the pulling and the dragging and the maneuvering, that's very similar to what you're doing at practice. Whereas you could hit pads, right? Oh, one, two, hook, one, two, cross, whatever it might be. Well, when you're in the street, you have fists coming back at you, right? You have aggression coming back at you where it's completely different. So I think that's that was my favorite thing about jujitsu and still is where it's like it's very similar. And look, this is coming from someone who I've never been in a fight. But even now, like I walk into areas and I just feel like more like confident and I feel more now I know that I wouldn't want to get into a fight because like I know certain things that I could do. You know, I just got my third stripe a couple of weeks ago and they're they're trying to get me to to compete really bad. The guys at my gym are like, yo, you got to uh, they're, they're talking me into it. Like every time I go in. Super fun. It's so so the first time I ever competed, we did an in-house tournament. You know, I'm older, right? I'm an old, I, I started jujitsu, what, four years ago. So I was like 46. You know, most of the guys are younger than me. You know, there's, you know, it, it, the, the, good, the good thing about jujitsu is that you, you can do it for a long time because it's not as strike. So striking, you can get your head hit and you can have, you know, it could be bad, but there's no striking really in jujitsu. It's all chokes and position and arm locks and stuff like that and leg locks. And so you can go hard, like you said, and not have a lot of damage. I mean, of course you can get hurt, but I mean, you can go really hard and not like have any, you won't get hurt as often. Um, and also I hate to cut you off. The best thing about jujitsu, you just tap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and you go again. Yeah. Listen, it happens. They're, I don't understand why there are kids in my gym who granted, like some of them are a lot younger than me. They're like, maybe 22 to 25 i just turned 30 and like some of them want to actually fight whereas me it's like it's a great workout i'm learning some new shit i like being disciplined right so it comes from a different different place and perspective but there are so many people like i go to some open mats and dudes won't tap yeah it's crazy i mean donaher says talks a lot about that because he he's like because one of the other things that happens in like a jujitsu gym is like, usually you go with similar belts. So white belts to white belts, purple to purple, blue to blue, black to black or brown to brown. And Donaher was saying, he's like, no, I, you know, I want everyone to get mixed up. So I want the black belts and the white belts to go because it's going to up your game because a black belt's not going to take a chance on another black belt, but he will take a chance on another white belt. And so that just, and his whole philosophy, which I love, and I didn't I just, was just so fascinating you guys should definitely listen to this podcast if you're into that i listened to it by the way so i know exactly what you're talking about philosophy was to put you in difficult situations so that you can get out of them so that you're comfortable when you happen to be in these situations in real life or in a competition and if you've never been you know arms up full choke about to black out <laughs> you're not going to know what to do and in, in jujitsu, like you can train that be and be safe and be, you know, like people are cool about it. And yeah, I mean, the, the first time I ever did an in-house tournament, you know, I'm, I think two strike white belt, you know, I'm a heavy guy. So I'm with heavier guys and they're all younger than me. Right. 
And I just remember like, you know, we train and roll and all that sort of stuff. And I'm just like, there is something different about he's trying to get me and I'm trying to get him and we're going full out, like full out. And I was so nervous and so like jittery, but now I'm, now I'm like, okay, I, now I know what to do. And, and yeah, you should do it, man. Like it's super fun. It's, it's, it's crazy because you feel, yeah, I can't explain it. I mean, it's, it's like, I, I, <laughs> I, I can, I can understand what it's like to like be like one of those wrestlers where everyone's like looking at you. Cause everyone's like looking at your coach, come on, you can do it. And they're telling you stuff and you're like, I can't hear a word they're saying. Cause I'm freaked out, you know? But it's a great experience. So, yeah, you should do it, man. So, well, you're a blue belt now? I'm a blue belt, yeah. What was it like when you got your blue belt? That was great. We was an in, in, indoor tournament or an in-house tournament we had to do. And <laughs> the funny thing about that was, because, again, like I'm – there's really wasn't a lot of, like, four-stripe white belts that were my size and my age. So, uh, that was back at our old gym, and our old gym had an octagon right? Oh, the whole cage oh. thing, the whole itself, right? And so we had this indoor turn, in-house tournament. And if anyone doesn't know, like in-house tournaments, just everyone in the gym and we do a round robin and stuff. And they're literally caught the, the first mat. This is the first match of the entire tournament. And they're calling my name, Jari, Jari. And I'm like, what? He's like, you're in the octagon. And I'm like, I'm in the what? <laughs> goes, no, 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 no. I'm a white belt. That's a blue belt. Like there's a four stripe blue belt. I'm a, right. No, no, you're in the octagon. You're, you're up. And I'm like, Oh shit. Like I've never been in the octagon before ever. Not even in practice. And I'm going up against a four stripe white belt. Right. I'm sorry. Four stripe blue belt. It's my size, but there's a huge gap between a four stripe white belt and a four stripe blue belt. And uh, you know, I got crushed, but I was like, I'm in the octagon, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, it was really fun. It was, it was, you know, it's, it was really cool, you know? And then, and then you just now, now once you're a blue belt, it's all about, okay, now you got to, what's your game? You got to learn your game. You're who you are as a, as a practitioner. And yeah, it's, I'll never forget that. I, I was in the octagon. <laughs> yeah. I have uh, I what's it? Do you have like a go-to sub that you try to hit? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of them that are depending on the situation, but um, I'm really good at scarf hold, mm -hmm. so it depends on kind of what we're doing. I'll pull that, um, and a lot of people are not very good at that, and, and usually it's because I'm heavier and I can kind of do a kind of reversal on it. There's that, and then um, typically I'll do like collar chokes because I do gi. Um, oh. I don't do a lot of no gi. I mean, I, I've, I've been doing no gi this whole time we've been in lockdown, but I normally do gi. So I'll do some, you know, some sort of collar choke. Cause I've got pretty, pretty good grips. So, you know, I'll do, try to do a collar choke, but I've been, I've been learning more in no gi. So no gi, like, as you know, is a lot faster and yes. grips, grips are pretty much non, you can't grip anything. So I've been trying to do more, um, like arm bars, more Americanas, more, uh, uh, even we're doing a little bit of heel hooking and stuff, but generally I'm trying to do more arm bars and stuff with, within the Nogi. I love, I love anacondas, anacondas and darts. 
<laughs> man, my uh, my 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 coach, dude. I'm talking about like I, they the guys know that it's coming. They, it's my go-to, and you know I learned a I learned a very valuable lesson one time when I was a two-stripe white belt. I rolled with a blue belt who was a three-stripe, and I tapped him on a dars, and I was just like, seriously? He's like, yeah, man, you got me. And then I, I go to I go to one of my coaches and I was like, I didn't think that was possible. He's like, dude, if you can have one go to move that you just like, obviously I haven't mastered it. I'm not gonna say that, but for my level, it's like if I if I get you in that, it's it's quiet. Like it's probably gonna be over for you, right? And he told me he's like, look, man, there's been times and he was a black belt. He's like, dude, I've rolled with brown belts and they just get me in this this one hold and or, or a purple belt. And he's like, look, it happens, right? It happens. And also, like, a lot of people don't tap enough in training. So you know, in a competition, it's different, right? Like may, maybe in a competition he doesn't tap, but in in training, it's like, all right, man, you got me there, whatever it might be. Uh, I tap often, dude. Like, I'm like, you know, I I try to fight it as best I can. Like, I give it one really, like, a thousand percent effort. And if I can, I'm like, all right, we li- let's just, you know, do the little traditional handshake and then just just go again. It's tap early, tap often in training. That, that, that I think, is the most valuable lesson of all that. The more you can get in those. And even because, like, when you get in those weird positions, especially you know, when you're going against like a, a higher belt, it, uh, you know, if they're, if they're good, if they're good at what they do and you kind of are trying to try stuff out and, and you actually, either they let you or you get them, um, the good ones will be like, okay, yeah, you know, tap or whatever. Good job. Like, this is what you did. Right. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I don't know what I did. How did I, how, what just happened? You know, how did I do that? Because a lot of times it's a surprise, right? The muscle memory, you just, you know, even the, the scarf hold, we, we practiced that so much that it was so much muscle memory that I'm like, oh, I just got to do this. And, and it's, one of those, it's one of those moves where it can go really right or it can go really wrong really quick. And you got to know what you're doing. And I don't know, like, don't get me wrong. I'm like you, I'm not an expert at it, but I've practiced it enough where I'm like, okay, I can pull this one. So super cool. Three stripes, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I got, I, it's, it's funny you mentioned that as we start to wind down, cause we do need to do a Patreon thing. I just remember. So that's why we're going to have to wrap this up, but I got caught in like a, like a leg lock where I was on top and like half guard. And I felt this pain, like someone stabbed me in my calf and I just like tapped, but he also had me like in a Kimura setup, but I wasn't the Kimura. And I tapped. He's like, he's like, I had you in the Kimura. And I said, no, dude. I was like, I don't know what the fuck that was on my leg, but that was, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. And that's what he told me after. And I was like, yo, I've never even been put in that. You know, he's a blue belt. And I was like, yo, that's pretty dope. And then he showed me after. And that's another cool thing with jujitsu. It's like, you know, everyone has a different variation of a choke, like, you know, a rear naked choke or an arm bar. It's, you know, well, I like to cross my legs. I don't. I like to put pressure on your neck, whatever it might be. But it's fun, man. It, it like... I do it four times a week. I've been campaigning for us to get uh, a more steady, like more classes. Uh, the days of me trying to put on size have been out the window for a while. I flip eggs and I do a podcast. I don't think I need to squat 415 pounds. Like, I, 
I I stay at my 185 and and that's like my superset and I just do like a lot of reps and my bench is the same thing like the only thing I do heavy is deadlifts but besides that like I just don't find it necessary but it's like I, I like my cardio is up at a level that I really like and just learning a new discipline yeah no it's a great it's a great art and it's even it's great for all types of people too I think that's the one thing that it's the almost, I wouldn't call it the great equalizer, but boy, technique, the technique matters so much. And you could be a s- smaller person, not very strong. And boy, you could do some serious damage. And it's, it's that I think is the, the art of it that I love and enjoy. I'm trying to really be a little more intellectual about it too, as opposed to just being the knuckle dragger, <laughs> like, like learn more. That's why I like watching all the breakdowns and the, MMA stuff like oh what did he do there what did you know what did she do there like the other day I was watching this I think it was the Ronda Rousey fight where she was she fought the preacher's daughter I don't remember her name uh Holly Holm yeah where she beat her right with the round was a kick to the head I mean because everyone knows okay Ronda Rousey's going to get you on the ground and armbar you (laughs) she's like I'm not having any of that and it was the technique like it was just so fascinating the way she she because she knew this right and and her her technique and her strategy just was amazingly patient and you know like oh second round third round and then she hit this kick and it's just like whoa like no one believed it like she's on the ground and ground and pound and done you know it was really it was that's the kind of the art i like about it so anyway one of the biggest underdogs in ufc history she was like nine to one Jari, this was this was fun, man. I'm gonna link the I'm gonna link the show that we did together in the description, so people want to listen to that, then listen to this one, or the other way around. Uh, it was cool where you you were setting the tone in the last one. I set the tone in this one, but you know, I'm not I'm not a fan of doing Zoom. But when you have a rapport with someone and you spoke to them, and you're Sure, we're colleagues, but also I, I consider you a friend in this industry and someone whose opinion I trust. And you always you always hold me down. It uh they they come off a lot better than the ones when you do a random one. So can't wait you. to actually get to New York or wherever you may be, wherever that may be. <laughs> Listen, man, I uh, I've made it very clear to everyone on Blue Wire, and if they hear this, if you come to New York and we don't connect, I am going to start a Facebook group. <laughs> and I'm gonna express my anger <laughs> for sure we will if i ever go to new york i'll be there <laughs> where can they find you man tell the people a little bit about your stuff and and all that the floor is yours yeah thanks man so uh entrepreneur ethos.com is the podcast um i'm on linkedin since you know i'm a business type guy it's easy to find me on linkedin i'm on twitter at the daily mba which is my old blog that i still have and uh I'm on the Insta and stuff like that, but I don't hang out on that that much. But yeah, best if you wanted to get a hold of me, it's either LinkedIn or head on over to theentrepreneurethos.com. At the Lame Shows, we can find me at Veterans Minimum, is where you can find the show. Before we go, I got the roll call for the Patreon: Nick Chavez, Christopher Velasquez, Daniel Gibson, Derek Plates, Jake Powers, Corey Johnson, Hoops, Devin Rendon, Ryan Pisner, and Mike Wozniak. Thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.
This dog off the leash and it's ready to kill. kill. You think you got it, I got it for real. You think you got what I got? Uh. You think you got it, I got it for real. You think you got what I got? Uh. This one for those they forget in my city. This one for those they forget. Yeah. This dog off the leash and it's ready to kill. kill. Homie, go finish your meal. I'm coming for real. Taking that food right off of your grill. Nikki too ill, can't let it drop and me spill. Clogging the lane, I'm feeling the strain. I'm here for the spot to be filled. Not to be cocky, but all of you watching while I'm in the cup paying property bills. Got it.